Changed by Love is the teaching ministry of Pastor Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills, located in Dover, New Jersey. Our desire is to teach the Word of God with passion and simplicity, as well as a direct application for our lives. With that in mind... Even Jesus Christ traveled the pathway or the road from suffering to glory. Do you think that God the Father loved his son? Yes, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, he said. That proves that if Jesus had to suffer and he was loved by the Father, that proves for a Christian who is suffering for doing good that that is not a sign of God's displeasure. Sometimes we can be following God, serving other people, and living the best Christian life we can, and we still find trouble at every turn. Some people mock us, will tell us it isn't worth it, and discouragement can set in. We find ourselves at this time wondering if we have done something to make God mad, or if He even cares about us anymore. Pastor Jim today reassures us that God loves us always and is proud of us as we endure suffering. Even better, He will give us the strength to keep going. With that in mind, here's Pastor Jim in the book of 1 Peter chapter 3 with part one of his message entitled, A Great Victory. Today I want to talk about a great victory. A great victory specifically tied to the victory of Jesus Christ. Now we are going through the book of 1 Peter verse by verse and one of the difficulties of teaching the Bible verse by verse is when you come to difficult passages. And today is definitely the most difficult passage in the book, and some scholars think it may in fact be the most difficult in the entirety of the New Testament. So that's one of the difficulties, coming to hard passages. One of the glories of teaching through the Bible verse by verse is when we come to difficult passages is how we can together learn to read through passages of the Bible that we don't understand. And if you're new to the Bible, which is great, I'm thrilled for you, you say, I don't understand hardly any of it, we're going to teach you today, I hope, how to approach things when you don't understand them. So again, today might be a little bit more like a Bible college class, a little bit more technical than usual, but I think it's important that we understand some of these concepts. It's important because a big temptation for a lot of people and a lot of us is to take a verse of the Bible out of the context in which it was written and make it say what we want it to say instead of what God intends for it to say, or we can tend to listen to people who've done that before us And we find ourselves saying, well, they read it right out of the Bible. It has to be true. And this is very common. And we must be very, very careful because if we're not careful, we can end up way off. In fact, dare I say that we can end up so far off that we might not even end up going to heaven. So today we're going to, if you've ever heard of KISS, how many of you ever heard of KISS? No, no, not like I want to rock and roll all night and party every day. Not not those weird guys on high heels and with long tongues and dressed in black. Not that, kiss. Keep it simple, stupid. See, in Bible interpretation, did he just call us stupid? In Bible interpretation, 
It's important to kiss. It's important to focus on what's clear and not to make doctrines or beliefs or major life decisions out of the things that are not clear. Now, one of the things we do to guard against heresy or false beliefs is to let what is uncertain be guided by what is certain. So we read the Bible and we say, well, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Let's think about what we understand and let that guide us. So before we dive in, let's ask ourselves, what do we already know, for those of us who've been here for the past few months in 1 Peter, what do we know that's clear about 1 Peter? Well, we know that it's a book that was written to Christians living in the area of Turkey, part of the Roman Empire, about 30 years by the Apostle Peter, about the churches, about 30 years after Jesus died on the cross, was raised from the dead, and ascended into heaven. We know that the Roman Empire is beginning to even pinch these people a little bit in their beliefs because they don't like the fact that people are going around saying that this Jesus is Lord instead of Caesar is Lord. And so the context is that these people, these committed followers of Jesus Christ, are suffering for the kingdom of God. And Peter has already showed us in chapter 2, Jesus kind of went through the same thing, suffering for the kingdom of God. And as he entrusted himself to God, so must we. So let's look at, in the passage we just read, what is clear, crystal clear. Look at verse 18, talking about Jesus of Nazareth, as he was known prior to his ministry, his death and resurrection. And it says that he was put to death. What's that? That's the cross, right? Okay, but he was made alive. That's the resurrection. Jump down to verse 22. Who has gone into heaven? That is the ascension. So what's clear? What's clear? When he was on the cross, things looked terrible. It looks like he had experienced the agony of defeat, but when he was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, we'll see later, seated at the right hand of God, Right? He did, it wasn't defeated at all, he won. And so Peter is making the case to all followers of Jesus Christ who suffer for the kingdom of God, suffer for their faith, that ultimately, like Jesus won, we can bet we will win, and we'll see in a little while that actually we already have won. Now last week, Peter encouraged the faithful to be full of confidence to fight off fear with faith because of the inheritance that awaits the believer when we get to heaven. Now, Peter reminds us again that even Jesus Christ traveled the pathway or the road from suffering to glory. Do you think that God the Father loved his son? Yes, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, he said. That proves that if Jesus had to suffer and he was loved by the Father, that proves for a Christian who is suffering for doing good that that is not a sign of God's displeasure. Sometimes we think if we do something for God or we tell people about Jesus or we're trying to serve God and we're coming up against obstacles, we think, oh, God hates me. God doesn't want me to do this. You know, we're so like the first thing something goes wrong, right? Oh, it's not God's will. Do you imagine if Jesus did that? We'd all still be dead in our sins, right? 
And so no, it's not a sign of God's displeasure. Rather, when we serve God and we suffer for it, the Bible would teach us that we are identifying with the beloved Son on our path to glory. So let's look at verse 18. Probably the only thing that's going to be clear all day today. Aren't you excited? Verse 18. We dabbled in this a little bit last week. For Christ also suffered. Some of your versions say died. I think suffered is better because dying is part of the suffering. Suffering is much more all-encompassing. For Christ also suffered once for sins. How many times? Once, okay? Now the idea is in once means it's finished, it's completed. The just for the unjust. And then Peter tells us why. That he, Jesus, might bring us to God, being put to death, that's the cross, right? In the flesh, meaning Jesus was put to death in a physical body, but made alive, that's the resurrection, by the Spirit. Now there's debate with some people, you say, well, is it the Holy Spirit or is it the human spirit? And you say, well, in my Bible, it's a capital S, Pastor Jim, so that's easy. It's the Holy Spirit. There were no capitals back then. So there is, well, they had them, but I mean, they, they didn't use them in their writing. And so there's some debate. Was he uh, raised again in a physical body, which we know is correct? Or does it mean that he was raised by the activity of the Holy Spirit? Or does it mean both? I think more it's raised by the activity in the agency, we call it, in biblical terms of the Holy Spirit, but it certainly could be both. Now, if you are not a committed follower of Jesus Christ, notice I'm not using the generic term Christian because there's tons of people who say they're Christians and live like the devil, right? Okay. I wish more people lived like, said they were devil and lived like Christians, but anyway, that's another story for another day but you're not a committed follower of Jesus Christ, I would like to extend a special welcome to you. And it's important that you see something that you probably already know. When we go out in outreaches to meet people and we say to them, tell me about Jesus, most people go, he died on the cross for our sins. It's almost, and then I will say to people, because I'm nosy, I will say to people, can you explain to me what that means? Almost nobody can. Almost nobody can. So it's important to understand when we say that Jesus died on the cross for our sins, that Jesus died to pay the penalty for our sins against God. Now, some people say, I never committed any sins against God. Well, did you ever love anything more than God? That's idolatry. Okay. Did you ever tell a lie? Liars. Okay, <laughs> right? You ever tell a lie? That's against God's law. Okay, And so the forgiveness of sins, Jesus died on the cross, but the forgiveness of sins is realized, theologians say actualized, we might say experienced or given to those who put their trust in Jesus Christ. That's really what the word believe means. Now, we said this last week, it bears repeating. Jesus' death was unique, and Peter tells us that here. He says it was the just for the unjust. We might say the perfect for the imperfect or the sinless for the sinner. And the Bible teaches that Jesus of Nazareth, again, as he was known at the time, was sinless. And that's how he could stand, if you will, on the cross in your place, in my place for our sins. So it wasn't one sinner just covering for another. It was the perfect God-man Jesus Christ 
standing in our place. The Apostle Paul wrote these words, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3. He said, For I delivered to you first of all. Another version says this, as the matter of first importance. This is the most important thing that we need to know about the Christian faith. Another version says, I told you what was most important, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. In other words, from the beginning of time, even from eternity past, this was God's plan for the forgiveness of sins. Peter tells us here this offering was once for sins. Some of your versions say once for all. Now, we have to be real careful. It's not for all people, okay? It's not for all people. We have an expression that we use about Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. It's sufficient for all and efficient for many. What do I mean by that? In other words, it's sufficient for all. If everybody on the planet tomorrow said, I want to put my trust in Jesus Christ, Jesus wouldn't go, no, man, you're taxing the system. You're overloading me. I can't do that. Okay, he wouldn't, he wouldn't say that, okay? He would say, come, all you who are heavy laden. So it is sufficient for all, but it is efficient. It only works for those who believe. So when he says here, once for sins, we'll talk about it somewhere else in the Bible, too, other places too, meaning that it's one act for all time that secures the forgiveness of sins and eternal life for those who believe. So way back in first century time for the Jews and all throughout the ages, even in today in the area in which we find ourselves living in, traditional religion, there are no more sacrifices for sins that are needed because it happened once for all. The cross canceled the eternal effects of sin. The cross and the resurrection canceled the eternal effects of sin for all who believe. The writer to the Hebrews says this, Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. Notice he didn't say all people. No, he said of many. Well, who then are the people that he bore the sins for? It says, to those who eagerly wait for him, he will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. So that would seem like the way you become a Christian, the way you get saved is you eagerly wait for Jesus. So let's all run out to the parking lot right now and go, what are you doing out here? We're eagerly waiting because we want to go to heaven. Why don't you go to work? Because I'm eagerly waiting, right? Why don't you do anything around the house? I'm eagerly waiting. No, that is not what we're talking about. We're going to get to an example of that. That's just using language to summarize part of what we are doing as followers of Jesus Christ. What is he saying here? That Jesus' return for those who are looking forward to it, it will be to what? It will be to take us home. For people who are not looking forward to it, it will be what? It will be to judge them for their sins. So you might say, but why would God become a man in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, who we know as Jesus Christ, suffer physical harm and die on the cross. And Peter answers it for us here in verse 18 that he might bring us to God. That word bring is not just the idea of we die and then he brings us home. The idea of that word bring is the word access. The Bible says that we have access to the throne of grace because what Jesus has done for us and we have responded by putting our trust in him. Uh, think of it this way. If you decided today you were going to drive down to Washington, D.C., and you're just going to barge right in, 
and you're going to talk to the president. We'll come visit you in prison, all right? <laughs> and if you don't watch yourself, you might get shot because <laughs> they're carrying <laughs> over there. Now, but if you were one of his children, some of us remember that old picture of JFK's kids under the desk in the Oval Office. If we're one of his children and he's not in some meeting with some high-ranking government official, can we run right into the Oval Office? Of course we can. So Jesus died on the cross in our place for our sins. So if you will, we can run as God's little children into the throne of grace. We now have access. And I think that's seen here in the contrast between death and life. It says here that Jesus was put to death by who? By people and made alive by the Spirit. And I would say by the agency of the Holy Spirit and for us, when we put our trust in Jesus Christ, our eternal destiny changes. And it's only because the Bible teaches the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ does a person have the hope of the forgiveness of sins, does have the hope of eternal life, has the hope of access to God without being cut off, if you will, on your way in. This is how a sinner can walk into the presence of of a holy God because of the response of faith and trust to the work of Jesus Christ. Now, some people say, well, I think you go to heaven by being a good person. Why, why would God have his son bludgeoned on a cross if you and I could go to heaven simply by being what we call a good person? 2 Corinthians 5, 21, that famous verse says this, for he talking about God, made him, talking about his beloved son Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us. That does not mean that Jesus was made a sinner. It means that his sins, our sins were placed upon him. He died on the cross as our substitute. You know, the students, you know this, when you know your teachers can't do something, they can't make it to school, they call in a substitute, right? And what do you do when the substitute comes? Nothing. Okay, chaos, right? right? So, so you, you, the, the teacher couldn't come in, so they had to get someone to do it in their place. We couldn't die for our own sins as a satisfactory payment to God, so he got someone in our place. Why? It says here, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. It is through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, also his sinless life, and our trust in him that God calls people righteous. The Apostle Paul said this, Romans 4, 5. But to him who does not work, right, the Bible teaches there's nothing we can do to get ourselves into heaven, but believes on him, puts their trust in Jesus, who justifies the ungodly, his faith, the person who's going to heaven's faith in Jesus, is accounted for righteousness. So in all of this, Jesus, who never sinned, his suffering was un deserved. Peter is making the case to these people that when you or I or they suffer for doing good for the kingdom of God, that Peter knows, that God knows, it's undeserved. And Peter doesn't want his people to give up. He wants them to see that today's troubles are temporary. Today's troubles are temporary and victory is is sure. You say, how can I be sure? Look at the miracles of Jesus Christ in the Gospels. Look at how he deals with the forces of evil. 
And we see at the cross and the resurrection, neither death nor the forces of evil can beat the power of God. And Peter wants us to see that there is power in the life of a believer when we see that victory. When we see the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ and there is power in the life of a believer in declaring that victory to our own souls and there is power in the life of a believer when we declare that victory to one another. There is a confidence that God wants all of us to have that just as God rose Jesus from the dead, he will fulfill his promise to raise from the dead or we might say bring to heaven all who turn to him and put their trust in him. Now that was the easy part of the message. Now we go into the quagmire. (laughs) Verse 19. I'm going to read it first. I'm going to comment from one of the greatest theologians of all history, and then we'll try and pick it apart a little. Verse 19 and 20. By whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water. All right, let me quote the great theologian and reformer Martin Luther. He said this, A wonderful text this is, and a more obscure passage than perhaps any other in the New Testament, so that I do not know for a certainty just what Peter means. <laughs> Thank you, Martin Luther. (laughs) Thank you. So let's go through it slowly. Now, he just said in verse 18, he just said that Jesus was made alive by the Spirit. This is why I lean towards the agency of the Holy Spirit, because look at what verse 19 says. By whom? He was raised in the Spirit. By whom? By what? The power and agency of the Holy Spirit. Also, he, that would be, Jesus, okay, went. Well, now the question is, where did he go? Right? Oh, he's like, that's easy. He went and preached. That's what he was always doing, Pastor Jim, to the spirits in prison. Now, that's the statement that has a lot of people in a knot because who are they? Typically, not always, but typically in the Bible, uh, spirits is a, is a word that's used for non-human evil spirits. And so did he go speak to them in prison? Now, some scholars think that the term prison doesn't necessarily refer to hell. It could be just a metaphor for God's control over the spirits. Verse 20, who formerly, that's like the only part I understand. That means in the past, okay? Who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah. You might want to just jot down, read Genesis 6 for your homework. Hundreds and hundreds of years, thousands of years before and just a period of great wickedness. And there's these people roaming the earth called the sons of men, the Nephilim, and some people don't know whether they're just these wicked people or they're evil spirits and they're having children with women and, and just what, it, my goodness, like are their heads turning around like the exorcist or people don't even really know for sure what's going on. I know some of you who are like in your teens, you're like, oh, well, you old people should know. Weren't you there? We weren't. <laughs> we weren't there, okay? So who formerly, okay, in the past were disobedient when the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared. That took a long time for Noah to build the ark in which a few, that is, Eight souls were saved through water. I just want to be like, only eight people? 
Of all the people that were alive back then, only eight people. So you say, what in the world does that mean? There are countless theories on what this means. I probably read through about 30. You can read the word biblical commentary by Ramsey. I think he does a good job with it. If you ladies are like, I want a woman's point of view. Okay, Karen Job wrote the Baker commentary. It's not her woman's point of view. She's the woman who just studied this stuff and she did a great job with it, I thought as well. That's it for today with pastor and Bible teacher, Jim Kevney of Calvary Chapel, Morris Hills in Dover, New Jersey. We hope and pray that Pastor Jim's simple and passionate verse-by-verse, line-by-line teaching through the book of 1 Peter is bringing growth to your Christian faith. Now that you've heard from us, we would love to hear from you. Please let us know how we can pray for you, answer any questions you may have, and let us know how Changed by Love has helped you. Perhaps you want someone to explain to you how to have your sins forgiven, how you can go to heaven, and how you can get started or restarted in your faith. Maybe you're looking for a good Bible teaching church in your area, or maybe you just need someone to talk to. Remember, friends, we are here to serve you and to help you so that someday the Lord will use you to serve and help others. That's the way the kingdom of God works, and we're thrilled to participate with you in the adventure. There are many ways to contact Pastor Jim and the team here at Changed by Love. All of our contact information is on our website, www.changedbyloveradio.com. Once again, that's changedbyloveradio.com. Maybe you would like to bless us and write us a card or letter. Our mailing address is Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Once again, that's Changed by Love, 158 West Clinton Street, Dover, New Jersey, 07801. Please join us next time on this same station. Until then, stay close to Jesus, and we know that you too will be changed by His love.